so I messed it up. Um, high school is actually supposed to be, I guess they got class two, so I think they all got the message. Any high schoolers left in here? Bob, you're a high schooler? He's high school. Get, get out, get out of here, Mark. Uh, yeah, it's a good thing I like teenagers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, we're in Genesis because uh, as I started uh, back in uh, February uh, with our first message in Genesis, we're in Genesis because it's foundational to our faith. Um, in a time when our world is in such chaos, in a time in our world where truth is relative, in a time in our world where it's just hard to know what is real and what's not, and some of the foundational things that we thought we knew we grew up with now is so politically incorrect, we kind of sometimes are left wondering, maybe I got it wrong. And so it's at times like this where we need to be reminded, need to be reminded of what is true. It is this, this foundation of understanding of truth that then gives us the boldness to be able to stand in a culture that is beginning to attack those foundational truths. See, if we are wishy-washy or don't really know what we believe, then we can't stand on those beliefs. We get attacked and we wonder and we question and we doubt. And so then we begin to back up and, and, and capitulate to culture and, and give in. And so Genesis is an important book for us to cover at this time because it's going to help us to understand the foundation of things. Because as I've come back to over and over again, the first verse tells us everything we need to know. In the beginning, God. When we understand that in the beginning, God, and we believe in the beginning, God, then we can get our mind right. Then we can understand how we're going to know truth, where truth comes from, where morals come from, where the order of things comes from, what is right and what is wrong. So Genesis is a key for us this year, and it's key to answering these existential questions. And we're faced with one this morning. The existential questions that we all eventually begin to ask, right? Usually in our teen years they begin, but oftentimes it really comes around in our early 20s and even into our 30s sometimes. We begin to ask these questions and we need to find the answers. Where am I from? Why am I here? And then today, of course, we're going to look at what is the problem? What's the problem with this world that I'm living in? Why is there so much pain and suffering? Why is there struggle? Why isn't it just all good? Why isn't it all just happiness? Why is it not just all love? What is the problem? Our culture right now, if we listen to our culture, they are answering this existential question with things like racism. Racism is the problem. If we just eliminate racism, then everything is going to be great. Everything's going to be happy. We're going to get along. It's all going to be love. It's all going to be joy. There's going to be no struggle, no pain. We just got to get rid of racism. 
Others would say it's Marxism. We need to get rid of Marxism. We need to get rid of these power-hungry people that are trying to, the elite class, that are trying to control everything, are trying to, trying to ruin everything. We just need to get rid of Marxism. If we get rid of that, then it's going to be all happy and joy and great and good and loving. Certainly, both racism and Marxism are an issue in our day. But that's not what the Bible says is the problem. Because in the beginning, God, he's the one who tells us what the problem is. He's the one who reveals the core issue that we all struggle with. Sin, right? The answer is sin. Sin is the thing that leads to racism. Sin is the thing that leads to Marxism and all other ugly things that happen in our world. It's sin. It's rebellion against God. It's a rejection of the fact that God even exists. It's a desire by humanity to be in control, to have power, to be autonomous, to do what we want, to do it our way, to satisfy our cravings, to worship creation. To be in control. Sin is the answer to that existential question, and it's clearly revealed in Genesis chapter 3. So let's read it. Verses 1 through 7 in Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Then why did you make them, God? Seriously. <laughs> you ever ask that question? Like, I mean, why? Why'd you make them crafty? Why don't you just make them dumb, right? I mean, <laughs> sorry. Sometimes these things just come out. And I, yeah. He said to the woman, the, the snake did, the crafty snake said, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You know, his tongue just flips out a few times, right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was there with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. <laughs> we can sometimes look at this story of an Adam and Eve, and uh, I've kind of mentioned this before in other sermons, but we can look at Adam and Eve and we kind of think, come on, a talking snake. Like, why would you not just run from a normal snake, but a talking one? 
right? And, and we can kind of like accuse Adam and Eve of just kind of being a little bit dense, like figured out, right? You got to recognize where the danger is, right? And, but we have to recognize that Adam and Eve are not just simply some historical story of the fall of humanity. They're not just some humanity representatives that have fallen. All of us have given in to the lies of the serpent. Every one of us has faced this same temptation. Every one of us has seen the evil snake whispering in our ear and instead of running, leaned in. Tell me more. So we have to recognize that this story, although it happened many, many years ago, is really still happening today in each of our lives. All of us are guilty. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All have given in to the serpent. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So this morning, I want us, I want to bring us into this a little bit to say, you know, we're not just going to look back at what happened, but I want to look at what is still happening today. I want to interact with this in our own lives and how we still are making, are having this struggle. Because this struggle, first of all, comes from the fact that there is free will. God, in his love for us, because he wanted us to be able to receive love and return that love to him, he had to create free will. He had to allow us the opportunity to choose on our own. Do we want to love God in return or do we not? Do we want to surrender to his sovereignty or do we want to claim power for ourselves? And so free will is this, what is at play here in this story and in all of our stories. What are we going to do with that free will? What are we going to decide? You see, if we didn't have free will, then we would just stand back and we would blame God and rightly blame God. God, you created us. You created that snake. You didn't give us a choice. We had nothing to do with it. We, we, we couldn't resist the temptation. And so we had to fall into sin because we didn't have freedom of choice. And so it would be God's fault, God's responsibility. But because of free will, we see, no, no, no. God created us out of good and out of love and for good and for love. But he wanted us to choose it for ourselves. So he gave us the freedom to make that choice. Adam and Eve didn't have to sin. But why did they sin? Why did they, why did they make that choice? Simply put, they were lured. They were lured in by their desire and by lies. James chapter 1 gives us an interesting description of sin. In verse 13 to 15, it says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, 
and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The issue at hand, why do we sin? In essence, it's because of our own desires and our own lie and the lies that we hear, which of course come in the form of temptation. Temptation is the lure, if you will. It's, it's what draws us in. And again, it often starts from within. And then we start listening to the lies because the lies make us feel like, oh, that's, I, can, I can satisfy this desire. And then we get hooked and then comes sin. I've come to see, I think, temptation in, in this perspective, that temptation actually is about worship. Temptation always actually leads to worship or at least reveals who we worship. The temptation is saying, who do you actually worship? When it comes, when that desire begins to build, when the lies begin to come, when we lean into the snake and begin to listen to what he's saying, it's the, who are you going to worship? Who do you worship? Do you worship the snake? Or do you worship your creator? Who do we trust? Who do we bow down to? Who do we fear? Who do we obey? Temptation leads to worship. It reveals who we're worshiping. Who do we love? Who do we long to please? Who do we honor? Are we going to worship God? Are we going to worship something, anything, everything else? And so that is what I want to center in now is this temptation. Let's, let's talk about temptation. I've come to see at least there's at least three kind of great temptations that I think are common to all humanity. Every one of us in here, uh, these are areas of temptation for us. Some of them for us may be bigger deals than others. For others of us, all of them are maybe the same uh, temptation. But one of these three is probably something that you have wrestled with, with your, in your life and continue to wrestle with in your life today. They're great temptations. The first temptation, are we going to worship the creature or the creator? Are we going to worship the creature or the creator? Are we longing for pleasure? Are we longing for beauty? This takes two forms, I think. First of all, just the internal passions that we have, desires, to fulfill those cravings within. As we talked about last week, uh, sin has impacted all of our life, even our cravings. Our world right now is trying to tell us, your cravings, they're good. If it's, it's a natural craving, that's a good thing. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. Don't, don't resist that. But scripture says, no, no, no. Only the cravings that lead to God are the ones that are good. The other cravings have been corrupted if they're there and you need to harness those. You need to help to control those. You need to get those in line with God. And so our cravings internally, four things, 
whether it be for other people or whether it be for sex or for drugs or for whatever it may be, these, these passions within, these desires that we have, the, the lusts of the eyes, the, the desire for money, all of these kind of internal cravings are based in worshiping the creature or worshiping ourself like, like we're valuable. This is part of what Eve is dealing with. Again, why is she talking to the snake? But more than that, why is she listening to the snake? She's worshiping the creature. Maybe it was something like, oh my gosh, it's a talking snake. Curiosity, right? Oh my gosh, can you believe it? It's a talking snake. I've got, oh my, if it's a talking snake, it's got to be wise. It's got to be amazing. Oh my, what does it have to say? What can it teach me? What can I, I mean, this is so, right? So some of us are worshiping of, creature, of, cre, of the creature. It's just the beauty that's around us. Not always, but sometimes those who are environmentalists are really like tree huggers as we've called them that's maybe not a nice term but the idea that that creation is greater than humanity you know we're worshiping creation and its beauty and that humanity actually needs to be squelched and pushed away because creation is so much better so we look at the beauty around us and we can be be tempted by that tempted to worship it I think, you know, for me, I, I love creation. I love the mornings, the sunrise. I love the evenings at sunset. I love the beautiful lakes and waterfalls and all the things, the flowers, and as you guys know, birds, right? I mean, the amazing beauty that's all, I love it. I appreciate it. I long to see it and to watch it, to observe it. But am I worshiping it? is one of the great temptations. The second great temptation is to worship knowledge or the knowledgeable one. The desire to know. Since the enlightenment, humanity has been radically changed. What used to be a God of the gaps is no longer, and everything is explained. And if we don't know how it works now, we will eventually. So we just don't have enough information yet. And so we strive for this knowledge, the ability to understand and know things, and for wisdom. I've heard some in this, uh, in this world of worshiping knowledge that, that, that actually have said, that the mind is the most powerful thing in the world. They believe that the mind can be explained for all miracles, all things, you know, supernatural things that we see that we say is supernatural. It's because of the power of the mind. It's amazing what the mind can do. It's amazing if we just put our mind to something that we can accomplish it, right? So all of us, or some of us more than others, are tempted by this knowledge piece. I think actually a lot of pastors can be really tempted by knowledge. And even knowledge about God. So that instead of having a relationship with God, they just know a lot about God. And they begin to worship their ability to understand and their intellect and they begin to, you know, become more and more legalistic 
and more and more hard line in their theology that if you don't believe my way, then you must be a heretic. (laughs) So we are tempted, I think, for knowledge and wisdom or to be even around those with knowledge and wisdom. Second great temptation and the final great temptation is I think, I, I kind of believe this is at the core of everything, but it's to worship power or the powerful one. Power in general, right? This just power. To have power, to be in control. Our, our world is addicted to power. There are so many in our world that are striving for some kind of power. That's what drives them. That's what they're longing for, to have some kind of control. And those who have it are always wanting more and more and more of it. It's a great temptation. You can can just make a little bit more money because in our culture, money is power. Make a little bit more money and then you have a little bit more power. So now I have more control over my life. I don't have to worry about so much about the economy going down or I don't have to worry so much about inflation because I got extra money. I can do it. I can handle it. I don't have to worry about living in a neighborhood where there's a lot of crime because I can move out of that neighborhood. I don't have to worry about what other people are going to be. I have power. I have control. I can, I can take care of myself. I can do it my way. It's a great temptation to continue to live our lives trying to get more and more power. That it would be my will be done. That I can be independent and do it on my own. So can you relate to some of those temptations? Again, I think these are just three. There's probably others or others in that, those categories, whatever you want to say. But those three, the, the worship of creature, the worship of knowledge, the worship of power, these are the great temptations of our day that continue to badger us, continue to tempt us, continue to whisper in our ear. You just need a little bit more money. You just need a little bit more knowledge. You just need a little bit more pleasure. And you can have it. Right now, just, just give me a little bit. Just, you know, take a bite of this apple. Take a bite of this pear. It wasn't an apple. It couldn't have been. Adrienne and I were talking about this. It had to be like an ugly fruit, don't you think? Right? Ugly fruit. That's pretty ugly looking, right? Have you ever seen an ugly fruit? It's actually a real thing. I should have got a picture. We don't have a picture. Anyway, it's ugly fruit, right? It's ugly, right? It's not, or I, I don't know, pomegranate maybe? I don't know. Maybe I know some of these people think that's a pomegranate. I don't know. What do you think it was? Dorian. Dorian, yes, yes, durian, yeah, that uh, king fruit. Oh my gosh, that stuff is nasty. Oh man. Anyway, so it's got to be, can't be enough. Anyway, so we're sitting there and God's like, you know, hey, our sin is saying to us, temptation is saying to us, just take a little bite. Did God really say that you can't have power? I mean, just a little bit. I mean, did God really say that You know, you can't have a little bit more knowledge and lean on your own abilities. Did God really say that you can't enjoy life a little bit? I mean, (laughs) the problem, of course, is temptation is a great deceiver. It promises that it's going to be pleasing and enjoyable. If you just take a little bite, it's, it's going to be great. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to make you more like God, right? You're, you're going to be in a better shape than you were before. Just, just take a little bite. It's going to be awesome. It's going to feel great. It's going to be just so enjoyable. But actually, it's destructive and painful. It's like the drug addict. Just, just, just shoot up one more time. Just take a couple more pills. It's going to feel great. It's going to be great. But it actually is destroying you. Temptation tells us that it's, it's a source of satisfaction. It, it, you know, if you, if you just do this, you're finally going to be satisfied. You're finally going to get there. You're finally going to have it. You're going you're gonna to enjoy it finally. Life is going to be what it's supposed to be. If you just, just, just take this little step, right? If you just do this little thing, take this little bite, you are now going to be totally satisfied. But of course, in actuality, it actually deepens that desire and that craving. Think about Drinking salt water. That's what sin is like. I mean, we just, oh, it's going to satisfy. Look at that. It's so wet and beautiful. I'm more thirsty now. I need more. You know what I'm saying? And this is what sin does. It promises satisfaction, but it actually leads to more desire. Temptation promises that it's a way to the better life. Not only is it going to be pleasing and enjoyable and satisfying, but man, your life is just going to be so much better. It's, it's, it's going to be great. You, you won't have this, you know, craving anymore. You're going to satisfy that. It's going to be great. Life's going to be good. People, relationships are going to be better. Everything's going to be solved. Life is way better if you just take a bite. But actually, it's not a way to a better life. It's the way to death. To eternal destruction. <laughs> and then this is the way that sin works. Temptation says, promises all these things. And then when we finally give in to temptation and worship creature, worship knowledge, worship power, then afterwards, that's unforgivable what you just did. And so we have to deal with the deception of shame and guilt. Certainly, we're guilty. But we have a God who forgives. As Christians, we still struggle with temptation. Sin is still a part of our reality. Romans chapter 7, right? Paul is dealing with his own sin, right? Paul, right? He's this like amazing guy, right? I mean, he wrote all the books in the Bible just about it seems like, right? I mean, this Paul guy, he's got to be holy. He's got to be awesome. Yet Romans 7 tells us of his struggles and he does the things that he doesn't want to do and the things that he wants to do, he doesn't do because he's still in the struggle for sin and so are we. Temptation is still a reality and falling to that temptation is still something we experience in our life. However, because we've given in to the lies of temptation doesn't mean we need to give in to the lie of sin, which is, means that we can't be forgiven for it. We can. We have a great Redeemer who loves us and cares for us and longs to forgive us of our sins. There are too many Christians who are stuck in the gutters of life because of sin. 
Because they feel like, oh, I gave my life to Jesus, and then I, I couldn't defeat this sin, and so now I just can't be used by God. He can't forgive me. I just hope that maybe somehow he'll let me in, but he probably won't. This is not the gospel. This is not Christianity. This is not what Scripture teaches us. We have a God who loves us, and our righteousness has never been our own. We didn't get in because of our righteous acts, and we don't get to stay in because of our righteous acts. We stay in and get in because of Jesus and his righteous acts. Amen. Amen. So even in our sin, we cannot allow it to defeat us. There are too many of us to think, oh, I can't believe I sinned. You are a sinner with sinful nature. Stop thinking of yourself so proudly. We all struggle with it. We all sin. See ourselves re with reality. That's what humility means. It doesn't mean we look down at ourselves. It means that we look at ourselves rightly. We recognize that, yes, we are a child of God, but, yes, we are sinful. And we need a Savior. So the question that remains, I think, for this morning is how do we defeat temptation? And I thank Scripture, and I thank God for Scripture. Again, we have a God, in the beginning, God. But He revealed Himself to us. This is... We have a God who is powerful, all-knowing, holy, totally transcendent, separate from us, yet near us, with us. We have a God who is perfect in every way, outside of time, yet has entered time in order to be with his creation. He wants to be known He's created for relationship. And so he reveals himself to us so that we can have relationship. He knew that sin was going to be an issue. He knew that sin was going to be a struggle. And so he gives us some help. How do we deal with sin? How do we deal with temptation? I got four ways that we'll kind of conclude the message with. And these are ways that I, they're not, there's no surprises here. You've been a Christian for a while. You've probably heard a message on temptation. You know these truths. But like all of us, we need to revisit them every once in a while and remind ourselves of these truths, of all the truths of God's Word. This is why we continue to go through God's Word. This is why we don't just stop reading it after one time through the Bible, right? Oh, yeah, I read the Bible. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's a pretty good book. Got some good stories. And it's pretty exciting. No, we, we continue to go back to it over and over again. All of us, um, most of us, and if you haven't, continue to read because it's there. I, I have experienced that time where you read that passage over and over again, right? And you've read it a billion times, it seems like. And then that next time you read it, all of a sudden, boom, God highlights something. You go, wow, what? Oh, I never saw that before. Why didn't I see that before? That's amazing. That's the Holy Spirit because it's alive and active, this word that we have. It's not dead. It's not just words on paper. It's constantly communicating and teaching because Jesus is the word. It's a person. Amen. So four ways that we can defeat temptation in scripture that I've found. First of all, flee. First <laughs> yep. Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that we're never going to be tempted beyond what we can. Add. And I get this as a side note. Okay. The bumper sticker theology 
God will never give you more than you can handle? Heresy. I'm sorry, if you've got that on your car, take it off, scribble it out, do something. It's not true. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can resist with his power. He will allow you to have things that you cannot handle on purpose because he loves you, because he wants you to depend it on him. Oh, all right. So back to temptation. So yeah. So flee first Timothy or second Timothy two twenty two. you know, flee that youthful lust, get out of there. Sometimes we just need to remove ourselves from the temptation. There are too many of us that stand around and kind of look at the temptation for a while. Oh, that's really nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I shouldn't do that. Oh, but yes, I know. Exactly. You're so beautiful. Oh, yeah. I, well, I, know. I really need it. No, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, let's go. Okay. You know, no, just get out of there. Right? Like, again, you know, Eve, like, run, like, flee, like, get out of there. Don't stick around for the temptation. Some of us need to do that. Remove ourselves from the situation. Pornography. If you're struggling with that, I'm just going to throw this out. And I know a lot of guys nowadays, this is kind of like, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's a lot. It's too many. Pornography. This is an issue you're dealing with. Sexual sin. Get out of there. Go away. Uh, You know, become a hermit if you need to. I don't know. Do not get a computer. You don't need a computer to survive in this world. Have someone else do your searching online. Get rid of your smartphone. They have these amazing things called flip phones. And they're for like grandparents, right? So (laughs) because... Jim, you got yours out? Yeah, right. Come on, John. He does. Yeah, that's right. Jim's a proud flip phone guy, right? But if you struggle with pornography, get a flip phone. Don't have a smartphone. Flee from that sin, right? And Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Gouge out your eye if it's going to cause you to go to hell. Cut off your hand if it's going to cause you to go to hell, right? So flee sin. This is the first, or temptation. This is the first thing that scripture gives us. Destructive behaviors and actions, sometimes, especially, again, around sexual sin, you need to get out of there. Just flee, run. Um, uh, Joseph, right, leaves his, you know, garment when uh, Potiphar's wife is trying to, you know, and he's like, I'm out of here. He still gets blamed for it, but he did the right thing. He got out of there, right? Next is community. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 talks about this reality that two are better than one. That, that we need each other. That, that if we're going to survive in this world, we have to have other people around us. So sometimes in order to resist certain temptations, we need people who know our struggle. There are too many silent Christians in our churches. Too many hiding Christians in our churches that are wrestling with certain sins that they'll never defeat unless they open up about it and tell somebody. I know in my own life, there are certain sins that I continued to just continued to reign in my life until I finally told a friend about it, brought the sin to light, said it out loud. This is a sin. I did this. And then all of a sudden, so much of that temptation went away. Not that it's totally gone, still there, still struggle with it. And some of us, that's more and so in others, but we need to get the sin out in the light of day because sin survives in darkness, not in the light. And so when we speak it out and especially speak it with a brother or sister in Christ and they can come alongside and help us to to remain accountable to that, this is a way we can defeat temptation. Next is scripture. Of course, Jesus showed us this way, right? Matthew 4, his temptation in the desert. 
over and over again, Satan tempts him, and over and over again, Jesus quotes Scripture back at him. There are some times and some temptations that we need to quote truth to. We need to speak it out. And I think oftentimes these are, uh, I maybe call them uh, temptations of the heart, temptations of the mind. If you are struggling with you know, self-worth issues or self-hatred to yourself or talking bad about yourself in your mind or struggling with bad thoughts and those kind of things, truth. You need to fill your mind with God's truth. That's how we defeat that temptation, right? And, and we have to be able to quote that over and over and over and over again. And so the question is, do you know God's word? If we're going to defeat this kind of temptation, then we need to sp- spend time in God's word. We need to fill our minds with God's word so that we can then take those thoughts captive and be able to defeat that temptation. Finally, we defeat temptation with prayer. Matthew 6, 9 to 13, the Lord's Prayer. In that Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That's part of the prayer because, and this is what prayer is. Prayer is calling on our relationship with Jesus. He's the source of power. And it'd be my perspective that all sins Start with prayer. All temptations start with prayer. If we're going to defeat it, we've got to pray. Maybe we need to add some other things to it as well. Maybe we need to add, you know, some truth. Maybe we need to add, you know, some, you know, these other aspects, right? Add some fleeing, add some community. But all of them start with prayer. Because we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way like we have been and yet was without sin. You know, it's been said that, you know, you know, people who are sinful or evil people, if you will, you know, they have just, you know, they've just not been able to deal with the temptation. They've fallen into that temptation because it was just so hard. And even we as Christians sometimes think, oh my gosh, temptation is so great, so hard. But here's the reality. Here's the truth that Jesus is the only one who really knows how difficult temptation is because he's the only one that allowed it to continue to build and build and build and yet still said no. He never gave in to it. We always give in to the temptation, it seems like. And when we do, then it's like, oh, the temptation's done. So that's not a big deal anymore, right? Because we didn't have to go all the way. But Jesus kept allowing the temptation to go until he finally said no, and it was done. Jesus is the answer. He's the one that's been there. He knows how to deal with that. And he also, again, gives us, we have a spirit. We are a new creation. Call on the spirit. Call on Jesus. Help me. Help me flee. Help me to open up to somebody about this sin. Help me to understand and know your truth. What are the verses I need to know to have in my mind so that I can, fe- I can defeat this temptation? Jesus, on our knees in prayer, crying out to Jesus, dependent on him, needing him, longing for him. And here's the key, worshiping him. When we're tempted, that temptation always reveals who we worship. If we dabbled with the temptation and eventually give in to sin, we reveal that we're worshiping something other than God. But if when the temptation comes, we get on our knees and cry out to Jesus, we reveal that we are worshiping the God who is. All right, worship team, come on up. 
close our service with a song or two, but just one final thought again about relationship. If you have been wrestling with sin and temptation in your life, there's only one way that you're going to change the pattern. And that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've entered into that relationship already, understand that although we get all of Jesus the moment we bow our knee to him, the only thing we're lacking is enjoying that relationship. And the way to enjoy that relationship is greater awareness of Jesus. And so do not just settle on a prayer that you prayed sometime when you were five or six or ten years old or whatever it was and say, that's enough. Relationship with Jesus, intimate, loving relationship with Jesus is available to all of us. You have all of him already. Do you want to enjoy him? Do you want to enjoy that relationship? And enjoying that relationship looks like community. Enjoying that relationship looks like fleeing. Enjoying that relationship looks like obedience. Not because we were strong enough to do it, but because he gave us the strength to do it. And we get to enjoy him more then. All right, let's stand, let's worship together, and I'll be back up with the closing passage. Heavenly Father, we would just ask that you would help us to have a greater understanding that you are worthy of our worship. Help us to, to know that you are indeed the creator, but a creator who is good, who is trustworthy, who loves us and only has good plans for us. Lord, it doesn't matter what the temptation is. There is no way that it can satisfy like you. So Lord, give us the strength we need to fall on our knees before you in the midst of temptation, to flee, to bring in community, to know your word, and to reach out and depend on you. And thank you, Lord, <laughs> that even when we stumble and fall, you still love us. You forgive us. You do not condemn us. Romans 8, verses 1 and following. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to your mighty and powerful spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thanks, church. Have a great day.